Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 16 of A Little Bit Famous with Ted Murata. I'm so excited. I don't even know what to say. My guest this week is the incredible, inimitable Steve Lilly White. When I started this podcast, I thought, hey, maybe four years, five years down the road, I'll be able to talk to Steve Lilly White. And here we are, episode 16, and my guest this week is the man himself, one of the most famous and successful record producers on the planet. Amazing guy, amazing story. I'm not even doing intro music. We're coming in hot with my guest, Steve Lillywhite. Um, oh, yes. Oh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Where this is going to be um, evidence. Evidence, yes. I need Later. it because uh, once I die, this is, it's funny. I saw a, a, a there's a great TV show. TV channel in the UK called Sky Arts. Okay. And, uh, and, and I have a this box that can, you know, I can listen, I can watch any show from any time. And um, and I was just going through and I saw a great documentary about the the small faces. Are you familiar oh, yeah. with the small faces? I am Ichiku Park and um, which is probably the greatest flanging on drums ever recorded. Although I, I think the drum fill that Phil Collins does in Sowing the Seeds of Love by Tears for Fears is also one of my favorites. Hold, hold, hold on. Time out. Phil Collins plays drums on that song? Oh, yeah. That's Phil I Collins. I had no idea that that was Phil Collins. That's Phil Collins. Go back and listen to that song. And um, word, word has it that, you know, Phil Collins is probably the greatest drummer I've ever recorded. And basically because Phil Collins can be, can be Simon Phillips, but he can also be Ringo. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. um, whereas, you know, someone like Carter Beaufort cannot be Ringo. Right. He's just too fiddly. Right. You know? but, 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 you know, Carter is one of the greatest techniques. He's the greatest octopus there that ever yeah. set at a drum kit. Yeah. But, uh, but but he can't be Ringo. And and there's an art form to being Ringo, as you very well know. Yes, I absolutely so, but, do. But, but no, uh, word has it that um, this was when Roland Orzabel of Tears for Fears was at his, you know, let me say sharpest. And okay. most, uh, you know, but they, they spent so much time in the studio that they he, he took something like 10 days to comp the drums. Wow. On sowing the seeds of love, because there was no timing thing, you know, you know, to mix the, I say comp, what we're talking about is to mix it because there's different sounds at different places. It's actually one of my favorite. I mean, I know it's sort of a Beatles pastiche, but of all those bands who do a Beatles sound alike thing, that song is, I just love it. I agree one hundred percent. I know every little overdub, and, and me I don't too. Why, I love it, and I don't know why the first chorus is. Oh, it's you know, it's like I would have had the first chorus like the second one, not like the first. I mean, it's just yeah. But um, and there's some great whoops, and just it's full of joy. It's not a lot of people when they do Beatles, um, sort not tributes, but the sort of jellyfish. It's all very worthy. And it's yes. not done in the spirit of joy. Yeah. You know, yeah. but 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 I think what um what 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 Roland and Kurt managed to get on that was, you know, there was a spirit of joy there. Mm -hmm. You know, I I'm with you. I, I love that hey. song. 
And honestly, I mean, I'm shocked that it's Phil Collins and you're right about the drum fill. And if you had told me it was Omar Hakim or Manu Kache or someone like that, that's yeah. kind of who I thought it was. No, um, it was Phil and, um, and, and they spent days lovingly putting that together. Because in those days, you know, I remember doing a multi-track edit, right? Literally, because I, I, I did this Simple Minds album and, and we decided that, that we just loved... We just loved one section of this song, but the rest of the song was like pub rock. It was mm. like not very good, you know, but this one section had a magical thing about it. So I said, okay, well, let's just loop it three times and we'll make the song that, mm. right? But what we had to do to loop it three times, we had to run cables from our studio to the next studio we had to, you know, you have to line up the multi-track machines. Mm -hmm. You have to plug them all in. You have to copy it. You then have to edit the multi-track. You know, it took a couple of hours to do what 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 used to take. Well, 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 no, what now takes nanoseconds to do in yeah. those days took a long time. Um, I much prefer it now. Although, you right. know, there, 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 there was a sense of um, of. of yes, we've done it on such a simple thing like that. I think nowadays, I'm not sure whether you often get a sense of, wow, we've done something different. I don't mm -hmm. know. It's almost like, you know, you can go pre my time. My time started at the beginning of 24 track, but you go back to, you know, maybe the greatest, most, uh, experimental time with recording music and um and that was done on four track four track and eight track and then the more tracks you have which basically you know and the more choices you have you would think music would get even more eclectic and more wonderful and the art form would would evolve but in fact what's happened is with more choice comes everyone defaults to the same thing Whereas, yeah. um, and I don't know why that is, and it's and it's a pity that, you know. But 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 my my idea that that, that have we started? I hope we have started. Oh, some, we uh, you're lightning in a bottle. I pre I pressed record immediately because I was like, we need to capture every second of this. <laughs> yes, yeah. we are going, and I'll I be, won't I'll even. Be, I'll, be, I'll be very wrong if it wasn't Phil Collins. No, it was Phil Collins. Just go to go to your Wikipedia page. And it'll say Phil Collins. Okay, I'll, um, I'll do that later. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but the idea that that the, the the well and and also after watching the the, the small faces show, I saw yeah. a um, I, I saw a a tribute seventy fifth birthday for Joni Mitchell. I mean, she was she was in the audience, but it was everyone from a Diana. Kral, uh, no, um, who, is she the one who was married to Elvis Costello, piano player? Yeah. I don't know. You don't know. Um, I'm not and, hip. Uh, it had uh, Rufus Wainwright, Seal, Graham Nash, um, you know, some some pretty good singers singing Joni Mitchell songs. And, and actually, just recently, I have, my day has become better if I listen to Court and Spark every fucking day. Mm. It's astonishing. Um, 
I mean, it's just like one of the, for me anyway, and I, it has an element of, I liked it when it came out when I was in my formative years, but, um, but it's just that nice element of folk and jazz and a little bit cutting edge, but it's listenable, mm-hmm. you know, because for me, I, some music is just not listenable. I mean, you know, it may be yeah. great art, but it, great art has to be listenable. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm, you know, some, and I also, what was it the other day? I listened to Frank Zappa and I've got to say, the sound of his records was fucking terrible. He made so many records. And yes, everyone says, oh, Frank Zappa, what a yeah. great genius he was. But yeah. it's, ro- it's ropey. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not fucking Steely Dan, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's Who true. I also listen to, which, you know, it's funny. Steely Dan in England had, a, ha, they had a great reputation. They were definitely not put in the same bubble as the Eagles and the Doobie Brothers. Whereas I always got the feeling in America, people put Steely Dan just as another one of those slick sounding American records that really didn't have, this is Americans who are sort of Anglophiles Mm -hmm. and they would dismiss Steely Dan in the way that I, in those days, dismissed the Eagles and the Doobie Brothers. Mm -hmm. Now I love the Eagles and the Doobie Brothers, funnily enough. Um, And and I can, you know, I, I, I can, you know, any good music, but when you're young, you're opinionated, Ted. Yes. And and, when, that's, and that's what you have to be. If yeah. I ever have a youngster come in to um, interview and, and, you know, and I always ask them, what's your, your favorite music? They go, Oh, well, I like all sorts. I, I'll never employ them. <laughs> you know, you've got to have opinions when you're yeah. young, because when you get older, you see everyone's point of view. You know, when you get older, yeah. the world is like butterflies all the way around and it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. But when you're young, you're full of angst and full of, you know, what, what's going on? I don't understand it. And I have opinions. And you're also trying to figure out who the hell you are, too. And, and often cycling through identities and that that informs the music you're listening to and all that kind of stuff is happening. Absolutely. I, I, I remember I never used to let guitarists bend notes. You know, and, and that would, um, and basically I was dismissing everything Pink Floyd had ever done. But no, it's, you know, punk rock, you have to be short, visceral, you know, skinny white boys. That's what it was. Yeah. That was pretty much my, my, um, uh, my mode of being. Yeah. But I have, was, go wife. ahead. I don't want to interrupt you. I mean, I, <laughs> <laughs> now, I mean, now, this now is I'm awesome. My, 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 my middle years though, Ted. Now I'm entering my middle years. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm mellowing a little bit. Yeah. Well, that makes, I, I get that. I, I, there's no question I am, although I still hang on to some, some unwanted angst, but um, you know, I'm, I, I've, yeah. I've mellowed quite a bit. I've matured. I, I, matured I, I, yeah. And it's funny. I, I, I now, I look back at my life and I actually, I almost see my, and this sounds, you know, when, when Ted, when one talks about oneself in the third person, one has to be a little bit wary. But in general, I go back and I think of myself and I think that sounds like a different person. It's like I've, I definitely, and it's not so much the records I was making, I try and equate it to the woman I was 
involved with at the mm. time. And I go, interesting. Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I was with Angie, I was that that was I was that sort of person. And then I met Kirsty, and Kirsty was a different sort of person. And then I was with um, Patty, and Patty was, and then I was with Susie. You know, and it's uh, it's great. Yeah, I think that's about enough. Well, all right. Well, I, I do have. I could go through the alphabet. Uh, I I have no doubts. <laughs> um, but I I have a quick question, which is about the Simple Minds record. Um, was that the record that um, Don't You Forget About Me was on? And and uh, okay, was this no, uh, was, was this like a follow up record or? No, it was before that. It oh, was okay. Basically, this is a, this is a great story. Actually, I was. Uh, I, I was contacted by a band called Rush. Um, yeah, little little I, band, little known. A little band, especially in 1983, arguably, arguably the biggest rock band in the world in 1983. Mm -hmm. And uh, they contacted me and I, I went to see a gig. I went to hang out with them. Um, I bonded with Geddy Lee over sort of, you know, my love of cricket, his love of baseball seemed to sort of get like that. They were Canadian, you know, very nice Canadians, obviously. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and they had the studio books. I went to look at the studio. I blessed the studio as to, yes, I can make a record here. A month before I'm supposed to go into the studio with Rush, the biggest band in the world, I got a phone call from Simple Minds. Oh, Steve, next month, can you do our next album? And I went, Oh, fucking great. Yeah, I'd love to. Yeah, I, I love Simple Minds. I went, oh, hang on. I'm supposed to be doing Rush. Just let me phone Rush up and let them know that I can't do their album. <laughs> so I didn't phone the band. I phoned the manager. And, and this was the only time really in my career that I have, I have been veily. Is that the word? Uh, it, was, it was not actually said, but there was elements of, you'll never work in this town again. I see. If, if you don't, you know, it's, it was like, no, 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 Steve, you say you, you're doing this out. And I, and my, 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 my argument was, well, look, you don't want to have sex with someone who doesn't want to have sex with you. You will be better not yeah. having me produce you because, you know, blah, 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 blah. But, but it was, you know, I was fearless uh, as such. And, um, and now, if you if you Google Rush or Google Geddy Lee and Steve Lillywhite, even now he goes, we were very disappointed. It, Steve Lillywhite is not a man of his word. Oh man, did. you from know, Getty, and, and admittedly, from a polite, that, <laughs> from a polite Canadian, that is <laughs> devastating. <laughs> I know, I know, and I do feel sorry for them. But but the fact was that that that, that I did not at that point i just had this calling that you know and this rush album sold millions and millions and millions and it, but it's not about the money mm -hmm. it's never been about the money for me it's always mm -hmm. been about the art because if i put art in front of finance i will make a record i won't always make a record that sells but at least i'll make a record i'm proud of and a record that i can go to my grave thinking well you know i did what I could, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, the Simple Minds record before mine was was an album called New Gold Dream, that was absolutely incredible. Um, it it it, uh, it was really great. It had brilliant songs. I thought the production, and I don't often think about other people's productions to be honest, but 
but I thought the production was wanting. It didn't have the sort of majesty and the power of the records I was making at the time. Um, but the songs were golden. They were really great. And, and, and in those days, Simple Minds, were, it was very interesting that the, the most lead instrument was the bass. Um, because they, unlike you 2 who had a bass that really all Adam can do is boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. And everything comes from edge on the guitar. With, with Simple Minds, the bass is like this thing at the front, this lead instrument playing melody and everything like that. Whereas the guitar and the keyboards in Simple Minds are like these sort of, these washy things on top. And you've got this solid tree trunk of a bass in the middle mm-hmm. playing these wonderful um, things. So, so now my album was called Sparkle in the Rain which um, we all thought was going to be really big. But it, one thing about the album in retrospect is that it never turned down from 11. I mean, it, was, it, was, it went at 11 the whole rate. rate. And, and it, it was slightly because of the cocaine and, and, and the lack of sensibility in, 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 um, in empathy for the music to, it just was like, it was so full on. Every song was like at that level. And, and it needed, and in fact, some of the 12 inch mixes I did of some of the songs had those elements that I wish I'd put into the album because it was more of a journey. Whereas it was just a hundred miles an hour full on, on all. I mean, just the, you know, if you listen to uh, a song called Waterfront, Up on the Catwalk, um, it's, I mean, it's so fucking bright and so full on. Um, I, Mel Gaynor uh, was the drummer and, 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 uh, and it was done at the Townhouse Studio 2. So it was, it was full on. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't rock because it, there was not a power chord to be seen. You know, but yeah. it was, uh, it had the uh, great keyboards and it had, a, you know, it just had this, fucking drum sound that was that was uh all encompassing yeah i mean you said 1983 was when you were going to do the rush record and you yeah. did the simple mind track so yeah. i was i was whatever thir- 13 years old or something at that point um you're a neil pert fan weren't you um i, I will i will answer that question um <laughs> i i was as a as a youngster uh, you know right. i would play rush tunes but um you know i'd play long to Tom Sawyer and all that crap. But but not very quickly, I realized that, A, that was not the tr- kind of drummer I wanted to be. Um, you know, it was kind of fun to do, but no, I had no interest in being that drummer. And and B, that I, I was much more interested in drummers like Ringo and Charlie Watts and, right. uh, and, and even, even John Bonham, who, despite yeah. sometimes his reputation of being like a basher, had a lot of uh, finesse. Oh, it's funny because I did a I did an episode of the podcast today with uh, Aaron Comis uh, from the Spin Doctors, the drummer from the oh. Spin Doctors, and he sends his best. Oh, to right. you. OK. Yes, I remember uh, him. Yeah. Um, I also remember their A&R man getting really angry at me saying oh, really? I'd stolen the Spin Doctors snare sound. Oh, he mentioned that to matches. me. He, he yeah. Aaron mentioned to me that it was kind of a running joke that that you had taken yeah. the Spin Doctors drum sound. That's so funny. Um, but yeah, we, <laughs> but one no. of the things one of the things that Aaron and I t- talked about was um, 
you know, be that Bonham had a lot of finesse, a lot of sometimes yeah. underrated yeah. finesse. And, and, and so, yes, I, I drifted toward, I, I was gravitated toward drummers who had great feel, great, great groove, great pocket, whatever, and, yeah. and served, served the song. Yeah. And that's I, always I, I been, I've ever heard any of your recordings, Ted, but I have watched your Instagram where you play along with records like a 13 year old. And it yeah. Joy. <laughs> oh, thanks. I'm so glad to, to know that you, that you've seen a couple of them that kind of fills yeah, my heart, but yeah, I mean, I, it's, it is joy to me. It always has been playing drums is, has always been fun to me. Um, well, and, I, 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 it's funny. I, um, I was very uh, lucky. I always thought Phil Collins was probably the, the, the best drummer I've ever recorded. Although I, I have to say, Abe Laboreal Jr. is fucking great. You know who he is? I, I don't recognize the name, no. But I might, I'm sure I recognize Jr. his playing. Is the big, fat dude who plays with Paul McCartney now. Oh, yes. Yes, I didn't know his name. Okay, okay. yeah. Abe Laboreal Jr., he is, you know, he is absolutely um, amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, and such a great guy and, and, and a real, it's almost like he, he does the Ringo thing, but he has stuff in the back pocket as well. Mm -hmm. you know? It's like he's, when he's drumming, he's singing, he's singing the song yeah. at the same time. And yeah. you always get the feeling that that's what Ringo was doing. He was singing the, you know, it's yeah. like, you know, he, yeah. I have a question. I have to ask, though, um, you said that that Phil Collins was the greatest drummer that you ever recorded. What were the circumstances of working with him? Phil Collins was on um, Peter Gabriel three, which I produced. Uh, okay. Yeah. With um, Biko and Games Without Frontiers and no. I love the album. I don't know why I didn't know that. I guess I didn't read the, uh, you know, the inside of the, uh, you know, the album cover no, or something. Very, and I it didn't. Was very, it was very Peter Gabriel. People didn't get too many credits. <laughs> oh, ah, okay. Well, I, I see. Yeah. It was, and I'm known for it as well, Ted. Um, but, but yes, but, but, but not many producers have any albums that are sort of flagpoles in the, I always think like going to the moon, you put the flag in, here we go. This is a statement. We've got to the moon. Like with sound, you know, here we are. Here is a sonic flag that will live here forever. Mm -hmm. And in 1980, that album was, it's the only album I've ever done that had this sort of, um, this, 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 do you know what I mean? Or am I being fucking stupid? The, no, the, no, the, no, 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 no. The idea of like, like a long Along the, the history of music, there are certain records that, that that define a sound and define a sort of art form and a creativity and and stuff. You know, you, you back absolutely to the back to the Stooges. Uh, you know, and um, for me, Trevor Horn has as a producer, he's my favorite. You know, uh, he's had a lot of these moments. You can argue that Mutt Lang has, but but for me, it's not. It's all from the head. It's not necessarily from the heart with Mutt. And although he's a lovely guy, he's a he's a sweetheart and a and a you know and and I, such <laughs> such a talented guy. But 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 Trevor Horn's got moments. You know, there are moments in Owner of a Lonely Heart, the mm -hmm. middle section of Owner of a Lonely Heart. For me, when I first heard it, it was like. 
fuck you, Trevor Horn. How did you do that? <laughs> it's got this doom, bam, brum, doom, yep. doom, 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 Almost slightly out of time kind of yeah, feel, yeah, and yeah. then it then slams it, home on the downbeat at the end. And then it comes up for the guitar solo that is yeah. so in your face. I've never heard anything perspective-wise go from, from like, you know, two miles away, and then it, and then it's like screeches up to your face at the end of that into the guitar solo that's right. Oh, fucking annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> Do you uh, have that? I mean, I, I love the way that you're describing this, but is that, I mean... <laughs> Do you have experiences like that often where you hear another producer's work or something and you're like, God damn it. Almost. You, know, you, you magnificent Almost bastard. Because, no, because I'm not that big a fan of music, to be honest, to even fucking care, to care about. I care much more about football and, you know, and, and, and just general size of tits, things like that, you know, just, just men's stuff. Um, what I, I know about you, I, I, I have to agree. <laughs> <laughs> Just not, not, I mean, that's not so, Im music's not that important to me. You know, it's like yeah. that old thing, you work in the sausage factory, you don't eat sausages. But when music does hit me and, and, and more and more as I get older, I, I, I don't, I'm not yet at that point of listening to my own records. I don't ever want to do that really. But listening to albums that were part of my, pre-recording studio career um, life. Mm -hmm. I just, so like Court and Spark for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, well, I think that was 1975. So maybe I, I'd been in, but I hadn't started producing in 1975. Um, and going back even earlier to like 1972, some of these crazy folk prog English records that no one had ever heard of, but I was as a, how old was I in 72? 55, 65, 70, 23. No, 72. I was 17. And you look younger than I, and I wasn't even born in, I was born in 1972. <laughs> so. 55. No, hang on, 55. 65, 75, seven, 75 makes me 20. 72 makes me, yeah, 17. So I started when I was 17 and um, but when I was 13 to 15, I was listening to this crazy. I mean, just it was my music and I was like, you know, oh, just um, just weird. I mean, I didn't think it was weird at the time. And and of course, whenever and you probably got this, you you um, if ever there was a band that you loved, the moment they became successful, you left them. You know, because it was like, no, they've, even if the music was better, quite rightly so, because they've become successful. But by definition, the fact that they're successful means that you don't, um, you know, you don't, you don't like them anymore. That was yeah. my thing. My, yeah. That was my. So, I was a little more loyal than that. I, I guess I was, uh, I, I guess I was a naive little sensitive boy and I liked, I liked music, but, uh, but then again, Let me guess. Well, you're a huge police fan and Stuart Copeland was your um, idol. I, I'm actually okay. not. I mean, I, 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 I do. No, I do love the police, but, um, and I, uh, uh, huge props to Stuart Copeland. But again, as a drummer, he was not a drummer that I wanted to emulate. No, you know, because I, I recorded him once. You give a click track to him. He's fucking useless. I mean, but, but, but this is the difference between drummers now and then. In those days, timing was not something that was 
a set thing. Mm-hmm. Like timing was you could go anywhere from Stuart Copeland, who was always pushing the beat. He mm-hmm. was in time, but his his pocket, stupid word, but his pocket was like going like that, mm-hmm. always going fast. Pushing, fast. pushing, pushing. Yeah. Pushing, pushing, but and it really worked with the with the music of the of the police. And then on the the sort of exact opposite um, of that scale, you get the brothers, your 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 brothers from another mother, um, the Marauders, Rick and Jerry. Yeah, yeah Rick and um, Jerry. Who? Yeah. I mean, right at the back end of the beat. Yeah. Both of them completely in time, but 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 what you've got now with the advent of drum machines and drummers learning from drum machines you get pretty much most drummers going down the center, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, and, and ultimately you get to someone like Questlove, who is basically, there's no difference between Questlove and a drum machine, you know, pretty much. I mean, and he's fantastic drummer, yeah. but, but, you know, right down the middle, you couldn't hear a click track if you, if you, if he played along because you would never hear the click because he would mm-hmm. always be on Just that beat. Right in the, yeah. Yeah, whatever, however far, you know, whereas with Stuart Copeland or with Jerry, you'd hear the click all the time because with Jerry, his snare would hit so behind where the click, it would be in time, mm-hmm. you know, and with Stuart Copeland, exactly the opposite. Yeah. Still very valid drummers that that were, um, and, and that's what I slightly miss. And it's, and it's a pity, but, you know, drummers when they're young, they learn by playing along with records with headphones on. Now, you know, drummers who were learning when, say, Stuart Copeland or the Marotta Brothers were playing, records were not made with click tracks. So when they listened with yeah. their headphones, you know, they play along with Keith Moon. Keith Moon's a great example of um, of Stuart Copeland style, right? And, uh, you know, so so they they would get their styles and they wouldn't, and they would be drifting and whichever drummer they liked, they would emulate a little bit, but it wasn't about perfect pocket time as yeah. such. It was, it was about the feel of the, of the drummer. And then of course, as records, and, and I'm as much to blame for this as anyone, you know, I, when I first started in about 83, I started using, well, no, um, no, even on that Peter Gabriel album, I, it wasn't done to a click track. I'm pretty sure mm-hmm. in 1980 it wasn't. Um, but you know, Phil's drumming was incredible. But 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 you know, I remember with Larry Mullen, um, drummer from U2, drummer yeah. from U2, yeah, giving him a click track. I, I'd done the first two albums. I'd done Boy and October. Mm-hmm. And we came in to do War album, and uh, and I said, Larry, look, I've got, I've been experimenting with this thing, which is like, you have this me- tick tock 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 tick tock tock. You've got that in your headphones, and you play along to that. And he went, Oh, okay. And the very first song on that album that we recorded was Sunday Bloody Sunday, and I just sat him down uh-huh. in the studio, and I said, Okay, you'll hear this tick. Top, 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 top. And I said, if you can ever hear it in your headphones, you're out of time. Yeah. Because at least the bass drum has to be exactly in on that. And yeah. uh, 
And I spent a whole day with him. And, and at the very beginning, he was like a young cat. You know, he's like like a put like just all over the place, chasing yeah. after the ball of wool mm-hmm. and 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 lapping the click after about 10 seconds. Yeah. You know, la- you get that lapping the oh, click. Oh, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you go so um, fast you come around and you come yeah, around you behind come around and catch up to it again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. And, um, and but eventually I got him to slow down. And, and actually he'd been to um, he was part of the marching band at school. So mm-hmm. it, it, like he, he, he and it was one of these marching band drum beats that he used for Sunday Bloody Sunday. But eventually after after um, about, yeah, after three quarters of a day, I, I, I didn't even press record. Mm. You know, I just said, look, you need to get your head into this thing. And if it doesn't work, we'll go back to the old way. And, it's, and after three, he was so sold on this idea that, that live, he has click tracks for songs that didn't have click tracks when we recorded them. Something Interesting. like, I will, like I will follow off the first album. Uh-huh. He now has a click track. And, I, and it was funny because they, they, whenever they play I Will Follow, for me, it's like, oh, it's all in the pocket and it's all great. But, I, but, 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 but it doesn't, but I'd been used to it sort of breathing and going up and down, mm-hmm. which is what they, we'd done on the first album. And, uh, and it loses a little bit. It yeah. does lose a, a little bit, you know. Yeah, there's a little. I mean, there, I have to say, as a drummer, there is a little bit of of, of an art to playing yeah. to a click track, but also making it feel like you're not playing to a click track. No, no. well, that's that's the second generation of click, which you are yeah. of click track players, where you you're not slave to it anymore. There, yeah. There's there's the first generation of click track players would be do this thing that. They would play along and they would get, they would be in time, fine. And then they would do a drum fill. And the moment they came out of the drum fill, they raced the drum fill. So the downbeat was ahead of the click. Very common. And because it's ahead of the click, they had to slow down. So the track felt like it was fucking dragging to me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh. And, And I could feel the horses holding it back. And there is nothing worse than feeling the fucking horses holding it back yeah. when you want yeah. this wonderful thing to be, you know, um, to, 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 to have its own thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and that was something that really, that got me a lot on that first generation of drummers who, mm-hmm. but then, you know, to be honest, uh, uh, Carter Beaufort is, I don't even listen to the click and it never sound, you know, mm-hmm. he, he, I don't even know why he has the click sometimes. It's, it's yeah. weird. He, he, um, but he's never out of time for me. It's always just what he does. Yeah. But you, you put the click in there and I go, well, how can you even, that click is nowhere. Right. But, 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 but he's got this great ability to like, you know, fly off. Um, oh, yeah. He's, you know, he's, uh, I'm very proud of, of, the only thing with Carter is that he's, Sometimes his choice of fills are not the sort of fills that I would choose. I that agree was- with you. And I, I again, <laughs> as a drummer, I mean, I love, I lo- uh, you know, I think he's a fantastic drummer, but yeah. again, yeah. not a drummer that I ever wanted to emulate. It's just, no, I, I wouldn't, I, 
if I got hired to be in Dave Matthews band, I would not have played drum parts. Anything, you know, I would have played entirely different drum parts that I felt um, served yes. the song better. However, I'm not the drummer for Dave Matthews band, so it doesn't matter. Let me put, uh, but, it, to you. Let me put it to you, Ted Morata. They may not have been successful if you'd been there. I agree with you. That was going to be the very next thing I was going to say, because uh, because the what the formula that they have is yeah. is is what worked. You yeah. know, and of course, um, the, and, and what's amazing with them is that when he joined the band, the bass player was 15 years old and he was playing. No, who played on black and BET. You know, he was a regular on. I mean, Carter was a, you know. Funny, you know, he was a, a, a sort of known in the black community as 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 being the session, you know, a TV drummer. Mm, He'd always played on black entertainment television. But really, he lived in Charlottesville and played at like the local bar that Dave was the barman in. So he was not particularly, um, you know, he wasn't very well known or particularly revered. I, I was uh, we were we were active. My band was actively touring. In the right. early and early nineties and throughout the nineties, but particularly in the early nineties, when Dave Matthews Band was a local club band in Virginia, and they were doing shows every you know Wednesday, Thursday, Friday at various venues in Virginia, and um, okay. so we were we were kind of we didn't directly cross paths with them, but we were passing each other, so to speak, on tour in doing these tours in these clubs, and um, and I remember yeah. when they got signed and. I actually I, it's funny that you mentioned the bass player because I remember a story hearing a story that he people were saying to him, oh, my God, Steve Lillywhite is producing your record. And he was like, who's Steve Lillywhite? Apparently, he didn't know who the Steve Lillywhite was. No, and I'm still trying to work out exactly who I am. Ted. But that's that's, that's a, more for my therapist. And my and my uh, and my daily um, my daily meetings. than Well, um, you know what? You, you raise a very interesting subject and it is 100% a part of this podcast, which is to go a little, a little deeper than, uh, than, you know, behind the music, but no, I, 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 I am curious about this and, and you and I have talked about this and if any of this is out of bounds, just let me know. But, but we, we've, we've talked about it that, that we've both had struggles throughout our careers. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I I am curious to know a little bit about about how that was for you because I don't know I don't know what your life was like before you became a producer. I don't know what your life was like before you came uh, became a, essentially a, a legend in your own time kind of producer. If you were if if some of those traits were already in you, um, no, or if it, you it, crossed the line along the way. Um, no, I was always well. It you know, I when you look back, there's, 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 they seem like very small things when you look back because you get hardened as you get older. But when you're young, you're very, very raw emotion. Yeah. You've got no emotions. So, I mean, just a little thing like the name Lily White was mm -hmm. not good because it's not a tough guy name. It's, uh, and everyone, not that there's anything wrong with being gay, but everyone would like, call me gay because and at I'm the time gay. there was because of my name. Yeah. yeah this was this was long before um she was in the 60s in england you know the yeah. kids were vicious oh um yeah uh, and you know so it was really only when my 
one of my best friends picked up a guitar at the age of 13 and said, let's form a band. We need a bass player. So I picked up a four string guitar. I mean, I had some normal guitar lessons and then I, I switched to bass lessons with my, um, with my guitar teacher. And, you know, from then I got a little bit of cool, um, but I was never in the cool gang. I was never, I was always bottom of my class. I was not one of those people that you could put in a, in a group photograph and say, that guy's going to become Steve Lillywhite, whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, I, so there was, there was nothing that indicated any form of um, any sort of anything other than flipping burgers, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest. But mm-hmm. I, I, uh, I, I was lucky that I got a job in a recording studio. But even then, my, my best friend also got a similar job and he was always much brighter than me. And, you know, it, 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 I've always come from the position that I, you know, and, and always I'm, I'm just that scared little boy. And I think we all have that yes. about, you know, that scared little boy who was, who was less than, who doesn't deserve, you know, the imposter syndrome mm-hmm. of, um, of, not, uh, of not thinking I'm good enough. But the one thing that that seemed logical to me right at the very beginning was this this catch-22 situation about having in England it was all it was never about how many records you sold. It was all about having a hit and being on top of the pops. That was the definition of made it, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't think you had in America, you didn't have such a your community was much more disparate. You know, it was, you didn't have, we were, you know, but before we became this multi-racial culture that is fantastic now in Britain, we were very much enclosed. Yeah. You know, and. Um, and geographically, and, I mean, you know, the United States is a gigantic country. Yeah, and, gigantic and, country. And, and the UK and, and is a new, a new country. Yeah, I mean, it, yes, you know, and you didn't have those deep-seated cultural things that just mean that you don't even need to say something; someone understands what you what you mean. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing needs to be certain things never needed to be explained because we were all thinking like the same person, and that's one thing America has has now. America's full of just two different groups who think two different ways. That's yeah, the weird. It's, it's remarkable how you know uh, everything's become politicized. But yeah. no, I, I was I was close. I, I would say yeah. So so one thing that really helped me um, that that seemed natural to me was this catch twenty two thing that that you you only get the work if you have a hit, but how do you get a hit if you haven't got the work? Sure, right. Yeah. So there was this thing called punk rock that I sort I pretty much it was a wave that came and I just surfed this wave. And I always say, you know, punk rock was full of bands who couldn't play. So what better than a producer who couldn't produce? I <laughs> I was in the right place at the right time and through a couple of a, a series of coincidences, which very much I'll I'll go through now. 
I, I had a job in a recording studio. The recording studio was um, at weekends. I was allowed to take my own projects in to help go from being a tape op to being an engineer. My own project that I took in was a band called Ultravox, which was a not the Ultravox that maybe some Brits know more than Americans. It was an early. It, it had a different singer actually mm -hmm. called a guy called John Fox. And they were sort of like a uh, like a punky Roxy music, and um, and I did their demos. They got a record deal with their demos. Uh, they signed to Island Records. Island Record. They said to Island, "We want to work with Steve because he did our demos." They went, "Well, we don't know who this guy is. You need someone else, you know, to to produce." They said, "Well, we're big fans of Roxy music." So that was the first time I met Brian Eno. So my first production credit really was on the first Ultravox album, which was produced by Brian Eno, Ultravox, and then me. It was a three-way production credit. Mm -hmm. Through that, I sort of got to know, I, I, I got involved with this crowd, and, and, um, uh, and my roommate at the time was friends with a guy called Johnny Thunders. Johnny Thunders was in a band called the New York Dolls, who were quite yeah. seminal. Yeah. He left the New York Dolls. He, he, he formed a band called the Heartbreakers, Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers. They moved to London. They released one album called LAMF, which was good, but was not considered sonically great. But I knew Johnny, who was a confused man. Well, just he was a, a, a New York punk, you know, mm -hmm. and, and a... And a to be honest, a junkie, but, um, and he, uh, and I said, Johnny, I'll do your solo album. You know, I can get you a good set. So we, with no real experience, I went in and recorded Johnny Thunder's solo album uh, called So Alone, which has a brilliant song called You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory, which is a great song title. Mm -hmm. From that, during the recording of, of You Can't Put Your Arms Around a Memory, actually, the manager of a group called Susie and the Banshees came to the studio. Susie mm. and the Banshees had just signed a very big record deal because they were hotter than hot. Yeah. He, and they just recorded their first single with, and I still to this day don't know who it was, but an American producer. Okay. They didn't like how it sounded. So they wanted to re-record it. And of course, Polydor, you know, it's like, well, we don't really understand the music, but if you want to re-record it, you go ahead. So the guy liked the sound, the manager liked the sound of, of you can't put your arms around a memory. So he said, would you like to have a go? And, and my first thought was, wow, if I can deliver to the band a version of their first single that they deem good enough to release, right, then I'll have a hit. Because at that point, the, the, the Sex Pistols had just had their first releases Susie and the Banshees were like everyone was waiting for their first record so I knew on on I knew it would be a hit if I made a good version of this song so we went in they liked what I recorded uh it it was a hit I got to do their first album and then all of a sudden it was and and this is where I think producers can either 
can blow it. It depends what sort of personality you are. As I say, my personality was never, I'm good at what I do. Mm-hmm. My personality was enable me at that point. Once I had that first hit, it was, oh my God, I can work with good people now. I can, you know, I've got a hit. Yeah. Why do I have to work with someone, you know, I can work with good people because I'm a fan. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and I was like part of them. So from that moment on, it was nothing to do with, hey, I'm Steve Lillywhite and I can make you sound good and you are, uh, you're, you are lucky to have me doing your record. It's like, oh, I'm Steve Lillywhite and I'm a fucking fan of yours. Please let me record your band and let yeah. me make your record. Yeah. And, and really, I was, you know, and I've always said this, for me, my biggest production decision is often deciding to do it in the first place. Because mm-hmm. once I've decided to do it in the first place, I am full in. Yeah. And, you know, there's no Rick Rubin style for me. I can't do three or four albums at the same time, uh-huh. you know, and I, and I, and, and God, he's fantastic to be able to do that. He makes three mm. or four times the money. But, you know, for <laughs> me, when I'm in there and, and even Brian Eno, Brian Eno is, I love Brian. He's a fucking brilliant guy. But, you know, the idea of him being in the studio, anything more than 30% of the total recording time is, no, he would never be there. Just because wow, that's, how, that's not how Brian thinks, you know, for mm-hmm. him, you know, why spend all that time? You know, it's like, I'll just come in, I'll do my thing. And then, you know, uh, so, so I, that's, so really, yes, I, it was, it was very much a case of I'm, you know, I can choose who I want to work with now because I've had a hit. And, and for me, you know, it was, my taste in music was always seemed to coincide with the general feeling of the record buying public at that time. I mean, it isn't now. That's why I'm not recording. That's why I've given up producing. I mean, I, I don't, you know, and as, as I say, as I shouldn't be, because I was 23 when I had my first hit with Hong Kong garden, Susie and the Banshee's first single. And the idea of a 30-year-old producer was old. A 40-year-old mm. producer, forget it. 50? You're not in the music at 50. Well, I'm 66 now. Yeah, yeah. I do not, I don't want to be doing, making records. It's not a world for me. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I, I, can, I can give advice. I can do things like this that someone might just listen to and go, oh, there's a little something that, that that he said that I can, you know, and I do my um, my concert, I, I do my tour, which is, uh, well, thanks to COVID, I've only done one gig, but I've written my own show, which oh. is, uh, which is basically my life story. It's got, it's got a fair amount of dad dancing in it. Um, uh-huh. But, but I, I, I tell my story um, in a self-effacing way. Uh, I play, little clips of music, a couple, I actually play the whole song. But in general, it's a trip down anyone your age and above's memory lane. And, 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 and I must admit, when I listen to that body of work, you know, bits of all these songs, I go, yeah, that's pretty good. 
you know, and, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and, but it's also a very uplifting, funny presentation because uh, the, the guy who helped me put it together does comedy clubs. So he helped me with, with how, and, you know, my whole, I, I did one show in Jakarta, uh, where I live, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, well, no, actually, I live in Bali and Jakarta now. But I did one show and then COVID came. But my plan was to take it round the world. Mm-hmm. Not do big gigs, but, you know, I, I had enough interest from people on my social media that I know that I could get, you know, a couple of hundred people in Boston, a couple of hundred oh, people in New York. Absolutely. You know, you know Boston, I have uh, this band called Guster who, who actually. Yes. They were, oh, my God. I, I yeah, loved the, working yeah. with them. Yeah, so Lost, good. Lost, Lost and Gone Forever is still one of my favorite albums I've ever done. Uh-huh. It's, uh, it's, it was, um, yeah, really good. So, you know, I've got, um, you know, so, so that's on the back burner from, for, for when the world gets vaccinated and we can get back to. I can't wait for that. If you come anywhere near wait. me, I want to come and see it. Yeah, good. I, I, it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. It, 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 I'm it, sure it, it is. Sad, it has sad parts as well as happy parts, but um but it's an up- uplifting and some great music. Actually, I've worked with some great people. So I'll, I'll yes. stand by my very, that thing I said a few minutes ago of uh, all I wanted to do was to work with great people. Mm-hmm. And, and occasionally one, one time I did something for the wrong reason and I actually did it, which was this girl singer called Toya. And I shouldn't have done it because it was not fair on her. And the other time I didn't do it was Rush. Mm-hmm. which was actually yeah. fair on them, even though yeah. Geddy says I'm not a man of my word. I actually, in a strange way, am more a man of my word than he can, in his small mind, actually conceive. Because yeah. by not doing his album, I was doing him a favor. Yeah. So I was a man of my word. I, it was a far greater word than he will ever know. Yeah. You yeah. Know. I, know. I mean, I... I... Do you, yeah. you, do you get that? I, yeah, I, I would absolutely have, I would do. Have spent them a lot of money and it would not have been a good record. Yeah. I mean, I've, in, I've interviewed at this point, I've interviewed two other producers and, and both of them have said there are, there are times when they realize that, th- that they, they will not be a part of a process that will make the band or the record better for, for whatever reason. And it could be as you, you know, because for you, your, your heart said, Go do the Simple Minds record, yeah. And and it to me, it's the res- absolutely the responsible thing to do in a situation like that. And these other two producers have said the same thing. Yes. Well, that that's an honourable thing to be able yeah. to walk away. I've I've been in situations with fantastic producers with with a very huge band that I've worked with. They they didn't walk away, uh, and eventually they had to be fired. But. Um, no, to be to, to 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 walk away for the greater good, I think is a is a stoic thing to do. I've been reading a lot about the Stoics recently. Yeah, are you familiar with Stoicism? I I, I am a historian. I have a PhD in American history, so I I, I know a thing or two about about the Stoics and Marcus Aurelius. Uh, and, and, yeah, I mean uh, my 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 particular bailiwick is you kind of early American history, but um, oh right, I, I well, had they, a, they I, were Stoics. Yes. Uh, uh, George Washington was 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 it Washington? I I don't know. Oh much about yeah, it. Uh, Washington sort of made it his his life's mission 
to contain his emotions. Right. Now, but it's not just containing your emotions. No, no. Stoicism is a lot more nuanced than that. Yes. Uh, I I just get this daily email and I've been reading books a little bit because I have no education. I I didn't go to college. You know, my education was pressing buttons at the age of 17 in a recording studio. So, um, you know, it's so, so I'm just now. The, 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 the things I'm interested in, uh, 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 stoicism is one thing and, and being in the moment is also another thing that, um, which is a Buddhist thing, right? Just being in this moment. Being present. Being present. I think that's, you know, in our fellowship, I think that side of things was slightly skirted over in, in the literature. I think it's, it's, it's not really ever... Um, ever presented as a thing whereas now i think it's it would have been if if they'd been thinking about it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. the, the, you know because i think it is all part of of our ability to 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 go one day at a time and our ability to 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 lead a a, a happy life yeah but it's it's never in the in the literature from from our our fellowship is it's not as as defined as maybe now if 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 bill w was was uh was writing his great tropes of wisdom and let's face it, it it's you know that is possibly the greatest greatest invention of the 20th century yeah i'll i'll, I'll say that yeah I'm, i don't think there's not many things that are greater than the epiphanies that happened when that original meeting and thank god for bill w because without him it would be just the oxford group and it would be religious and it would be dead now yeah yeah you know yeah but anyway that's that's a whole other thing it is however um i do want to say i do want to i have a well i have tons of questions but (laughs) um, we're almost finished yeah um well i do want to ask this um you know, uh, we we know each other a little bit and we've certainly shared um, about about both being in recovery. And I'm wondering yeah. about, I'm, I am wondering about um, your, your your life as a as a human being, but also as a professional during the times when you were you were active. Right. Um, did it uh, you know, was it was it was it was it something you were doing when you were 17 and then it just escalated when you got into a, a, a position because obviously the music business and my experience certainly has been the same drugs and alcohol are just there. It's just part of it. It's almost like a job description thing, you know? Uh, Well, I think I picked up my first drug the moment I picked up my first guitar when I was about 13. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, you know, put it in perspective, uh, uh, marijuana in those days in England was cannabis. And very often it was it was not fantastic quality, you know. Uh, we would it would you know at worst it would be called stale Moroccan, mm, because yeah. Moroc- but 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 there was a great um, lots of different styles of cannabis, you know. Uh, we were uh, very rarely would we get weed, and and uh, and when it was weed, it was we would have something called a tie stick. Mm-hmm. Or uh, tie sticks were really, really powerful, really strong. Uh, there was stuff called Afghani black, um, all from different parts of the world. And, and you know, 
uh, and this Moroccan could be blonde, it could be dark Moroccan, could be light Moroccan. It was fantastic. And we would, we would burn it slightly and crumple it into cigarette papers with tobacco. Mm-hmm. So actually, I started smoking joints before I started smoking cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was only when one day I had no, 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 no hash that I, because I was addicted to the to the to the tobacco, I didn't realize it. But mm-hmm. I went, oh, I need. So I just smoked, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and it was, you know, and and that's and it was definitely the drugs and the alcohol that I mean, you know, I I knew as an well. In retrospect, of course, I was an alcoholic from the word go because I remember when I was 14 going to my youth club and I would buy a bottle of booze on the way to the youth club and sit in the field drinking it. And then I would go into my contemporaries and my 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 14 year old friends and play table tennis and um, and, and, you know, blah, 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 and do all the things that you would do as a 14 year old and um and I was, you know, I had a buzz on from from booze. No one else did. I was sitting in the field with a bottle of booze and 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 it gave me a personality. It gave me what I really was missing. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, it 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 did. And and you know, I can't say I had that many hardships. I mean, my my, my using and my career was so interlocked. That um, that I never made a sober album uh, until I I got sober on the fourteenth of May nine fifteenth uh, of May nineteen ninety seven, um, and in fact when I did get sober I thought fuck I'm not going to be able to make any good records because I'm. Um, how can you know? Because for me, yeah, it was like I was a, wondering about that because I think we was, did talk about that a little bit. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I would, I would, I would get high and I would see the sound and that. But you know, in, and it was only relatively recently did I realize that I got all my Grammys, of which I have six. I'll tell you, Ted Morata, six Grammy awards. I got them all post, uh, all sober. So um, yeah, I, I, I would like to think that uh, creativity is something that is easier to access through drugs and alcohol. And because the human being is inherently lazy, especially creative people, we will use the wider road to get to that creativity because it's easier to get there through the drugs and alcohol than it is to do it without mm. but it is possible and very easy to I, I've, I've seen it with various yes. people i've worked with it's possible to get there it just takes more dedication more hard work and um but you can do it yeah and, and more wonder more joy more wonder more elements of that and 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 subsequently i've i've you know, I, I believe that, and I, and I have. I agree with you. Slightly for 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 just because I'm being pedantic, but I will occasionally say at a fellowship meeting, Sergeant Pepper's would have been a better album if they'd been sober. Mm. Now, some people will go, "Oh my God!" I don't. But there's there's an element of truth to that because I don't think Sergeant Pepper's is that good, because I remember listening to it, and the very first song 
we're Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club. I yeah. thought that this was going to be the beginning of a of a, a whole theme through the album. Journey. We, would know, we would know who Billy Shears was. And right. we would get stories about all these people that was in that first song. And yeah. then it just fucking disappeared. <laughs> and Sergeant Pepper's was not, you know, it was not this, 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 this thing. Yeah, it wasn't know? this unbelievable concept album after all. No, was, no, no. The, the, yeah. the, the first song indicates and you know and let let me introduce to you the one and only yeah. Billy you know yeah. but but you don't hear about his story you don't hear about anything yeah um and also you could argue that that the two of the greatest songs were supposed to be on that album and weren't which was um strawberry fields and penny lane which were recorded at the same time i think those two songs they were recorded at the same time but not put on sergeant peppers yeah and sonically that makes perfect sense that they were recorded at the same time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, probably one of the, you know, Penny Lane, certainly for me, one of the greatest Paul McCartney songs. Such a, also, such a great song. I love, I love silly love songs. I do I too. Love, I, I'm is a, that, <laughs> isn't that a fucking brilliant? I mean, it's it just, a great song. <laughs> it gets to my heart. You yeah. Know, da, 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 oh, da, it's beautiful. Yeah. And it's yeah, got a great bass line. I don't yeah. know what it is about me. I've gone, been through phases in my life, but but for many years now, I, I've been a completely unironic music listener and music lover. You yeah. know, I can listen to music and I love pop music and I love, you know, but I, and I, I'm not listening to it like rolling my eyes or, I, you know, I mean, I've, I've rediscovered the music of the 80s and my appreciation yeah. for so many incredible songs that were being written, you know, just absolutely dripping with great hooks and great players and, and you know, um, and, and I love the Beatles, you know, and I, I, I absolutely love the Paul McCartney stuff, too. You know, um, well, I, great. I think, you know, in retrospect, I think Paul McCartney, you know, John Lennon gets the kudos because he's dead. You yeah. Know. And he gets he gets the credit for for, I guess, in some people's minds, being the sort of more cerebral writer, the more serious yeah, but, writer. But, but um, you know, Paul McCartney, but, you know, even when you say. Okay, John Lennon wrote the deeper songs, the heavier songs, but probably the heaviest song in the Beatles repertoire was written by Paul McCartney, which was Helter Skelter. Yeah, Helter Skelter, right? That is fucking heavy metal. That yes. song, and that was written by Paul. Admittedly, he wrote it from a different place to how John. He wrote it because he thought I need to write a song that is heavier than John. Yeah. But you look, hey, it doesn't matter. The whole yeah. idea that the two of them were, were, were such great friends, but in the way that brothers can fight and it means nothing, yeah. you know, and that's, that's yeah. what truly, you know, and bands who, you know, you two are a great example of that. You know, Bono and Edge were mm -hmm. best friends school and now they they actually own a holiday home together you know can you imagine owning a holiday house with your bandmate no, no i don't know any other yeah. band no where where two of the members of the band share a house no because i mean you you have to strike gold for that to happen because you're talking yeah. about you know i was in a five-piece band all sorts of personalities you spend more time with them than you do with your own family and, yeah. and 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 tensions build up and and whatever, but and eventually, you know, even though you're still friends, it it becomes in some ways a business relationship, 
And, yeah. you know, we would we would come home from tour and, and scatter to the four winds, you know, as uh, right. as soon as we got home. No, not not. And with that's YouTube. amazing like, to hear about about Bono and Edge. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's a very big house, so they and there are two uh, yeah, houses. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There are the two Bono, there's the, the Bono floor, wing, yeah, yeah. the edge, the edge wing. <laughs> that's that's amazing. Um, but you know, I wanted to say just to sort of uh, just to kind of uh, put a little uh, bookmark on the end of the this conversation about being in recovery. I want to speak for myself and say that I'm a better, far better, more relaxed, more thoughtful drummer sober than I ever was when I was drinking. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And, and one of them is because I'm not on stage, either drunk out of my mind or have no access to out the amount of alcohol I need. And I'm, I'm white knuckling it and I'm anxious and on the edge of a panic attack in the middle of a set or whatever, you right. know, and, uh, and at the time I was like, well, this is amazing. I'm doing, I, you know, I'm the, I'm the greatest drummer in the world, you know, now I'm I have more humility. I have more. I, I, I am a just a generally calmer, happier person. And it, it translates into the way I, I play. And look, I, I, I think that the organization we're involved in is such a great organization that you, you know, it's almost like the, 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 the rules. No, they're not rules. The suggestions that we take are suggestions that could work throughout life. Yeah, anyone, because I think deep down, every single human being on this planet has elements of what we have. Mm -hmm. And you can dig down and you can you can be a better person through the, 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 the principles. You know, we practice these principles through all our affairs at some yeah. of these results. You know, I mean, no one adheres anything like you know, perfect adherence to these principles. And, right. uh, and I love that get out clause. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The escape hatch. The um, escape hatch. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I, I, all right. I have, I have a couple more questions and I'll let you go and you can get on okay, with your well, lovely. We can, do another, we can do another one if you want. Okay, great. Just, okay. Just that I, I'm, you know, I'm, um, I'm good for an hour and a, and a half or something like that. So, okay, uh, great. Then I, then I, I, I will, uh, also, people don't want to listen to so much of me. I mean, I, you know, come on. Well, I don't know. I think that this was, this, sure. this was pretty gangbusters. And, uh, <laughs> and I, and I, 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 you know, I, I will say this when I started this podcast, my goal was to talk to creatives and, and of course, talk about some things that have, by the way, have without even me kind of shoehorning them in, have just become consistent themes among creatives. Some right. of the things you brought up, the feeling of being being kind of an outsider uh, or, or whatever, you know, some of them have talked about being bullied as kids. You know, um, a lot of these themes about about who we are as creatives and and, and also the, 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 you know, taking such a big risk. You know, to to, you know, you, you grow up in a culture where you're being sort of conditioned to do one thing, to live, to live the kind of straight and narrow life and go punch a clock or, or, or go to an office. And and, and, yeah. and we make this decision to go, we're going to just step right out of uh, right out of that. And we're going to do something else that may, as a, a, a friend of mine said on the show, may only create pain for us. You know, yeah. but we're going to do it. And um, there's a there's a, or a lot of themes that are 
I certainly had an instinct Come about. Have you have you noticed this? Have you noticed that there are similar themes that run concurrently through every single episode? These things have come up, right? Every okay. single every single episode in in one way or another, and and sometimes people using the exact language, you know, to describe okay. it. And yeah, uh, yeah, I just yeah. think I just think it's a it's it's a thing about creatives. But I but I I honestly also believe it is a thing, as you said about you know for people who who aren't like us, who, who, who aren't alcoholics or addicts right. who live lives that, 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 you know, they, that, that's not their escape, you know, mechanism, right. You know, ha, ha, live lives where they have trauma or they have, you know, depression or sadness or anxiety. And, and, and in fact, maybe looking for ways out that are, you know, watching TV or, or, or gambling or doing this or that, or whatever they do to kind of numb out a little bit. Well, I, th I think COVID and lockdown has shown that, you know, pe we have probably done better within COVID than a lot of people. Yeah. By because of our, because of what we have. Yeah. You know, it, you know, in Zoom meetings, whatever. Yeah. It's community. Yeah. You know, to be part of a, to be part of a gang. Yeah. You know, we run, we run in packs as, as humans, you know. And um, and I think there you go. All right, so I, I I love you. I'm I'm absolutely. Go. I do. In in, in <laughs> you're awesome, and I'm I'm oh. so great. I'm so grateful to know you, and I'm I'm so. We can do it again. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm letting you go right now, and and uh, but it, I'm gonna it, say it yeah yeah yeah. I would love to. And uh, but I am going to say right now um, to people who are listening, my guest on the show today is Steve Lillywhite uh, <laughs> uh, and, and what slightly, you just experienced. Red faced um, <laughs> record idiot. producer, uh, six time Grammy winning record producer, Steve Lillywhite. I'll tell you that. Although yeah. I've only got two of them. Four of them are with my children, which is OK. Oh, well, that's that's actually very sweet. Yeah, that's good in New York. But no, so, uh, life is good. And yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much retired record producer. Yeah. I don't think there's any need for me to go in and decide what microphone I need for those overheads ever again. And, <laughs> um, and, that, and that fills me with absolute joy. Wonderful. But having said that, I've got a complete 180 on my thing that, um, you know, that, 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 that thing that those who can't teach. That's what I really, I used to, I used to be full of, I didn't like people who taught. I thought, well, you know, the, they just can't make it in the real world, mm -hmm. you know, but actually I, I, if now I'm, I'm quite open to any sort of um, mentoring and, and, and just, you know, talking and because I think I'm one of those people who does transcend, not transcend, I, I, I straddle both digital and analog worlds. Mm -hmm. And those worlds are not just a physical world, they're a mental world, you know? Yeah. And I think the mental, digital mental thought process is completely different to the analog mental thought process. Mm -hmm. And I sort of can at least give some indication of the thought process from the analog side and, you know, and so uh, I, I, you know, I, I quite like that idea of, of, mm -hmm. of um, 
But but it's not just about specific recording techniques. What what I like to try and do is to try and inspire people and try and just like people go, oh, I didn't never thought like that. Maybe I'll you know blah 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 blah. Yeah. Blah. Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, it, it kind of goes back to our fellowship. You know, you give it away. You give it away to keep it. You know, good, good, good. Well, look, take care. It's been fantastic talking to you. It's been uh, you a have delight. A great, uh, you have a great, great night. And um, and I will uh, I'll speak to you soon. Yeah. All right. Enjoy your day. Thank you again well, for for being on the show. I, 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 I have I, a little like I that. had a ball. I don't know about <laughs> you, but I've just been so buckled up and just enjoying this conversation like crazy. So, um, well, all right. So let, let me know thank when you. it's um, when it's. Uh, I um, absolutely, I absolutely will. Great, and let's okay. get Eddie Lee watches it. Yeah, yeah, I'll tag him. Tag him. Post, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll post a clip of you saying that, and I'll tag him. And no, of, of me saying get, you, you know. I'm the better man. For, yeah. For- yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll hashtag rush fans and uh, somehow we'll get, we'll generate enough buzz to get word up into Canada and, yeah. uh, and, 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 and get some, get some comments and whatever. <laughs> Stoke the fires a little bit. All right, man. Take care. I'll speak to you later. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> this episode was produced and edited by yours truly. Huge thank you to Steve Lillywhite for being my guest. It was a real honor and pleasure to have him on the show. A little bit famous theme music by the great Jay Darius. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'll see you next week.